Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloisa, and today's guest is a dynamic leader looking to take the pet wellness industry by storm. As the founder and CEO of Wagmo, Christy Horvath is on a mission to make pet parenting easier and more affordable. Today, she'll also be speaking on how Wagmo will continue offering innovative tech-first solutions to keep our furry friends healthy. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here. Thank you for coming on. Excited to have you. So let's go ahead and dive in. Can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? Yeah, sure. So I guess personally, I grew up in Colorado. Um, Always had pets my entire life, cats and dogs. I'm generally the type of person that would rather hang out with a dog than a human, nine times out of ten. Um, and professionally started my career in insurance of all things. So I actually kind of on a complete whim went straight from undergrad to a company called BlackRock in New York, um, where I joined the insurance team. And I genuinely had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, didn't know a thing about insurance, but I knew the clients of the insurance group were big and strategic and that sounded exciting. So started there and ended up there for six and a half years working exclusively with giant insurance companies of of all flavors um, and realized pretty quickly into that experience that while I wasn't super thrilled about fixed income and and the finance side of things, um, insurance is fascinating and pretty quickly fell in love with the industry and the business model of insurance companies and um, knew that I was going to spend my career in insurance in some capacity. So ended up after about six and a half years trying to think about, you know, what was next? What exactly was I going to do within insurance? Um, And ended up going to Harvard Business School to figure out what that was. And I went to school. I took my dog with me. His name was Denver. And in the middle of business school, Denver developed this crazy brain tumor and started having seizures. And I don't know if you've ever seen a dog have a seizure, but it is horrifying. And um, of course, they were happening in the middle of the night. And this went on for like three months, just got kind of progressively worse. Um, And for three months, I was just deep in the thick of it, of of pet parenting, and really got a very sincere exposure to what it actually means to be a pet parent and just how traumatic and all-consuming and ultimately how expensive that actually can be. I mean, we saw a dog neurologist. I didn't even know there were dog neurologists, Um, but there are, and they're extremely expensive. Um, and, And through that experience, realized that pet insurance as a product has such a potential, such a huge potential to really meaningfully impact how people navigate being a pet parent. Like being able to go to a dog neurologist without having to worry about affording your rent payment or, or food bills um, is something that pet insurance can help facilitate. And that's a pretty unique um a pretty unique solution that I don't think a lot of people know exists and that can really change the way that you navigate keeping your pet healthy. So that was a lot, sorry. (laughs) 
That was great. And <laughs> I'm laughing at one of the first statements that you said sometimes that you kind of prefer prefer being around pets than humans and totally, totally agree. <laughs> I'm like that weirdo at the party that's like hanging out with the dog in the corner instead of like at the cocktail table. Oh yeah, definitely. If there's a dog that comes by, you can expect that I'm going to sit down and just start petting, petting it. For sure. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's awesome. And I definitely want to unpack your background just a little bit more. Um, you know, for me, one of the most frequently brought up conversations right now is really this concept of like a work-life balance. And what's interesting about your background is that you had your work and then you had your passion in your life, which was being a pet owner. And you found the synergies between the two to create this really harmonious balance between your professional and personal lives. And I'd love to understand, you know, when it comes to your background, getting your MBA from Harvard, being a senior executive at BlackRock, what what would you say that past life did as it relates to attributing to your success today? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm under no illusion that I'm extremely fortunate to be to be able to pair my personal passion of hanging out with my dog and my professional passion of insurance. That's, I think that is a very special situation. I'm very grateful for that. Um, but really, you know, BlackRock was a really cool place to grow up, you know, in my career, it instilled in me kind of just some foundational knowledge around insurance, frankly, that is instrumental in getting to where I am today. Um, insurance is a pretty complicated and nuanced industry, and it's not super easy to break into if you don't know the right people and speak the right language. Um, and I would have never had discovered it with, without my experience at BlackRock. There were two phenomenal kind of senior leaders at BlackRock that kind of took me under their wing, taught me about insurance as an industry, um, took me to meetings. One ended up being my direct boss, uh, and he and I would go to board meetings together of these gigantic insurance companies. So I was literally at the board table, definitely the only woman and definitely the youngest person, but I was at the table uh, and got firsthand exposure to how these companies work at the highest level. And that was really um, meaningful for me. And, you know, the interesting thing that, that BlackRock didn't give me and that I was missing going into this experience um, was the startup experience. I mean, like I didn't know how many aspects of marketing there were or the difference between a product and a project manager, like little things like that, that now seem so, so routine and, and so every day of, of running the startup. Um, you just never encounter that when you're and you start as an analyst at a company like a BlackRock or a big bank. Um, so that was a, a pretty interesting learning curve that came at me quickly uh, that I had to navigate that that I wasn't prepared to navigate in, in the way that I am now. Very interesting. And um, I definitely want to touch on a little bit later of how really this concept of having a mentor, having the right support system around you helped elevate you. It's very difficult, especially for young women entrepreneurs, um, or even just have an entrepreneurial experience or a spirit. It's interesting on how we have to actually be able to get them to have a seat at the table, and what are the things that we actually uh, experience when we do get that seat. Um, it's definitely interesting. I want to unpack that a little bit more in just a second. You know, I want to still think about the founding story behind Ragma. You just spoke on it a little bit about Denver and how. Um, Unfortunately, he was experiencing health issues while you were at school. And 
I'm interested to hear how those initial phases of ideation to getting into the wellness and insurance sectors, what was that process like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, first came the trauma (laughs) and then I started, I happened to actually be taking kind of entrepreneurial related classes in my curriculum at school. Um, And as I was in these classes and kind of reflecting on the experience that I was going through with Denver, um, you know, wheels were turning and I I had this idea uh, around pet insurance and pet wellness and and kind of turning that into something different than what it looks like today. Uh, And honestly, the first thing that I did is I went to my professors because at that point, like they were as close as I could get to the startup world. Again, I had like zero network in startups or tech or what have you. Um, and they they sat down with me. I went to office hours and was like, hey, like I have this idea. What do you think? Am I crazy? And they gave me that external validation that I needed, honestly. I mean, you know, they were the ones at the end, of, at, at the onset that were, validating that yeah this is a pretty cool idea that no I haven't heard of anything like this I think this could work and then actually helped sit down and kind of workshop through some of the aspects of the business model and kind of what next steps would be from here um, which was super helpful and then from there I actually leaned pretty heavily on some of the resources that my school had for folks that were exploring kind of the startup avenue so I couldn't afford to not have a job over the summer. Um, And so thankfully, actually, HBS had this really cool program where they would give you a stipend, a very, very small stipend, but a stipend, um, so that you could afford to pass up that like cushy consulting summer gig, um, which all my friends did. And so I I went the the budget route (laughs) and started working on the startup idea, thanks to that, that program that they had in place. And really just kind of pulled on the thread a little bit more every day. And the moment that everything clicked was I put a Squarespace page up on the internet. I kind of made up a product that thought sounded like something people would use and, and talked to a couple of pet parents and, um, and people started buying it. And once I realized that this was, this was an appealing product and, and solving a problem that not only I had and, and not only my friends had, um, started to snowball from there. So just kept speaking to customers and kept trying to get at the essence of what exactly they were solving for, who they were, um, why they liked the product, why they were telling their friends about it. And the more I pulled on that thread, the more opportunities uh, for growth kind of unfolded. And, And so we went. Hearing your story, I mean, that's incredibly admirable because, you know, at times, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, People believe that the journey of an entrepreneur is this very linear path and you just get from A to Z and no, and just a snap. Like the reality of it is, is that we truly have to push ourselves forward. We got to find the right network. The majority of the time, we may not already have the network in place. I mean, not everybody is blessed to have that. Um, Have a growth mindset and then just actively pursue the innovation, actively pursue your passion. And, and that's, that in itself is probably the hardest, hardest part of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think the not having a network and not having a safety net is a huge barrier. And look, I will be the first one to admit that if I was not in business school, I probably would not have been able to start this company because I, I grew up 
pretty poor as a kid and I don't have that financial safety net behind me. And so there was no way I was going to be able to walk away from a high paying finance job and take a risk like this. But the stars aligned. I just happened to be in business school where I didn't have an income anyways. I'd already taken on like a tremendous amount of debt. So like, (laughs) and decided I, you know, I would give it a try in the summer. And and if things didn't go well, I could always go get a consulting gig. So I actually like had this perfect storm of opportunities present themselves that, that let me take this risk that I otherwise would not have taken because I'm a very risk averse person. Yeah, definitely. It's almost like, you know, the second that you get a sliver or window of opportunity, go for it, go take it. Cause you never know when it's going to come back again. Exactly. not thinking about, you know, future state, we're seeing a lot of VC money starting to flow into the health and uh, health insurance, health wellness space, especially considering the fact that I believe the pet care market size is about to be around 202 billion by 2025. Is that right? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear from your perspective, like what characteristics about the industry inspired you in the first place? Uh, well, I mean, my deep obsession with my dog <laughs> certainly helped, uh, and my interest in it came very naturally because I was a big participant in it. Um, but really, the opportunity is huge. I mean, to me, it's always been so clear that this notion of treating pets as just a pet uh, is is so antiquated at this point. And that's a boulder I've had to push, too. Like, I've had to in pitches explain to people who are generations above me that no, putting down the dog is not actually like the first option for people anymore. That is a huge generational shift in a mindset in how people approach their pets. And there's a lot that comes from that. So now that pets are no longer just a pet, um, they're now part of the family. They're more and more, not only just part of the family, but children. Um, the spending implications from like a consumer standpoint from that are just tremendous. So when you start to think about what you're willing to spend on just a pet versus what you're willing to spend on your child, all of a sudden, like that paradigm shift is super meaningful when it comes to like market implications. And not only is that a huge burst in spending, but it's also recession proof spending. It's tends to be income proof. So there's been you know, studies out there that have shown that regardless of your income, your tendency to spend on your pet is roughly equivalent. Um, And this is just going to continue to grow. I mean, what's super cool about this industry to me, and I suspect to my investors as well, is that um, we're really in kind of the nascent stages of this. Like this shift is just now happening. Like the millennial generation is just now becoming the, the largest pet owning generation. And it will only snowball from there. And so the potential to get in at this kind of early formational stage of a market is so such an incredible opportunity that if, if, if you can crack it and you can sort of lay the groundwork for what pet wellness looks like as an industry, then there's tremendous upside there. There's something to be said to you about what happened over this past year amongst a lot of million things. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the times the excuses was like, oh, I can't have a pet because I can't, I I don't have time. But now, especially now that people are actually embracing this concept of hybrid remote work environments, people are at home all the time now. They have the time technically. 
I mean, are you seeing any any shifts in that capacity? Yeah, I mean, we saw being in the pet industry over COVID was a good place to be, all things considered. Um, and yeah, COVID has certainly accelerated, I think, people's adoption of pets, particularly the millennial generation. You know, we've seen pet ownership at all-time highs and that is pretty infectious as well. So once you get your first pet, you're going to get a second pet later. Um, and I think that that has been very beneficial to our business. It's been very beneficial to the industry at large. And I think it really has kind of accelerated this focus on, on honestly wellness specifically, because all of a sudden when you've got a new puppy, like the first 18 months of taking care of a, of a new puppy or a new kitten are all about just getting it set up to have a healthy rest of its life. Um, you as a pet parent, you're figuring out what food to buy. You're figuring out how to train this thing. You're figuring out, um, you know, how to afford the vet bills, the vaccines, the grooming, all of it that goes into it. Um, and so I think all of a sudden we had a huge wave of people kind of facing that same like pet onboarding stage, if you will. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of kind of innovation and, and market opportunities uh, come from that. Definitely. Awesome. Well, you know, kind of shifting gears here, one of the gaps that overall we're trying to fill is between the female founder and the investor. And you recently closed a 12.5 million Series A round. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Can you share what this process was like for you and what resources or support did you use along the way? Yeah. So I, I will say that, look, it wasn't easy. I think anybody who tells you fundraising is easy um, is, is probably embellishing a little bit. Um, but I also don't think it should be easy. I mean, I stand by this, that if you're going to go ask somebody for $12 million, like it shouldn't be easy. That should require a bit of work. Um, it, this, this time around was a little bit easier than my, my prior round, just because we'd ha had more traction as a company. Obviously it's a great time to be a founder fundraising in this particular environment. Capital is flowing rather freely. Um, so that certainly helped, but um, the way that I approach fundraising, and this is, by no means my model. I have learned and stolen this from mentors and advisors that I have made along the way, but I approach it in like a pretty standardized, rigorous process. So I set a strict schedule. I get super organized ahead of time and really just have to kind of get fully in the zone and make sure that you're in a hundred percent fundraising mode. So it's a really kind of bizarre situation where you kind of have to step away from the business weirdly, even though your fundraising for your business um, and just go all in and sprint on it for, you know, four or five weeks, which is exactly what I did. And um, this was a very successful round. We're very excited about how it all shook out. We've got awesome investors that we brought along. Um, would not have been able to do this without the help of my founder network and my existing investors. So this round actually more than any really highlighted to me the importance of having really strong like pre-seed and seed investors on your cap table and, and in your corner because so much of of kind of pushing the ball forward and getting the momentum in the fundraise is all about just getting you know additional social proof and, and getting your existing investors to vouch for you and help do some back channeling and and make introductions for you and so um, that I was very fortunate to have had incredible kind of earlier stage investors to help 
support me throughout this process. And then really like the biggest source of support and what I like always try and pay forward whenever I have the opportunity is just other founders. Like so much of this fundraising process, it's, it's a bit of a game and, you know, there's ways to write emails and there's, there's ways to respond and ways to present something and answer questions um, that you really only learn either from doing it and messing it up or from asking another founder who's done it. Um, and I have learned that going straight to other founders who have recently closed their fundraise is, is honestly like the best source of help and support that you can get because nine times out of 10, especially among like female founders, those women have also relied on other women before them who have gone through it. And so they're very inclined to pay it forward as well. And so right now I'm helping like three other women founders who are about to go off for their series A and they're like texting me every day, asking me like, what do you think I should do here? And and I think that's just part of being in this ecosystem and, and positively contributing is, is being there and helping other people um, navigate this like wild world of being a founder. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much power to what you just said. And obviously, I take a, a very deep look into that as well um, in my personal life as well. And, and I think it's almost like this sense of networking community is also kind of attributing back to what you wish you had in the beginning. Is that fair? Is that fair to for say? Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, loves that. And there's definitely a lot of power of just overall leveraging your resources as much as you can. Try to build out your resources. Leveraging other founders is so incredibly important. And you're right. I mean, the majority of the time, especially now, I mean, Women founders really do have to to ask for help from others that have just been through it themselves, and more specifically, women founders who have been through it themselves, because it's a it's a very different conversation that could be had if it were the other way around. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, with the new funding and overall growth plans that Wagmo has, yeah, I'm sure people have a big influence. And kind of reflecting back onto one of your earlier statements about having a mentor at BlackRock to support you and somebody that was there with, there for you and there with you during those excruciatingly challenging times being at board meetings and so forth. How are you looking at your own company culture and your own talent development pipeline? Yeah, so this is this has honestly been like my favorite part of being a founder. And it's definitely the most rewarding part is being able to create and shape a culture from scratch and to actually build and give people opportunities to be successful in their careers. Like that's such a unique privilege and something I don't think I fully grasped in the earliest of days, but I'm certainly getting to that point now. Like we're now a 19 person team and, um, I have folks interested in career development and what does it mean to get promoted at Wagmo and, and can you connect me to mentors in my field? And that's such a, it seems like such an obvious thing that that's around the corner, but it sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. And, and now that I'm fully kind of reveling in it, it's incredible to see people that have grown up at Wagmo. I mean, we had a gentleman with us for two years who left because he got this incredible opportunity that he got because of what he started building for himself at Wagmo. And that's a really um, powerful position to play in someone's life and in a position I don't take lightly. And especially having been a woman in finance, like I've seen some toxic shit. I don't know if I can say that on this, but <laughs> like it gets pretty weird. And 
being able to build an inclusive and diverse company um, where people can be themselves, perform highly, and be rewarded for it, um, that that is huge to me. And that's kind of of paramount importance to me and to my co-founder. Like she and I met at BlackRock and, and she has her own kind of horror stories and, and battle wounds of being a woman in finance that, that she brings with her as well. Um, but from day one, this building this in very intentional culture around inclusivity um, has been very important to us and a huge focus of ours. So the, I mean, the challenge now is how do we maintain this as we scale as a company? Um, and, you know, we're hiring folks from the people side of the organization to come in and help support that because I think this is the period in companies growth where things kind of go off the rails or can go off the rails if you're not very um, invested in making sure that that they go properly and, and stay in line with with the direction that you want to go so that is I spend a ton of time thinking about this honestly like far more time than I ever thought I would um, but again it seems obvious but really it's it's shocking like how important this becomes in, in your day-to-day -day experience as a founder honestly it's very impressive that this is such a big priority for you and what's funny is that when you think about like human resources talent development people resources a lot of people really look at it differently depending on the the, the stage that you're in when it comes to growth and you're right. I mean, you're definitely at a point when you're experiencing massive growth and it's important to put these, these principles into place. And I think now more than ever, though, too, diversity, inclusion, equality, mental health, all of these different benefits are now really coming into play. And instead of in the past, I mean, compensation and title was one thing back in the day, but now it, it's really taking a look at everything. Do, do, you, do you provide remote hybrid environments? It's, right. it's everything. Right. Yeah, well, that's incredibly impressive and very admirable of you. Thank so, you. of course. And so, thinking about on um, future future facing, any exciting things coming up that we can expect from you and Wagmo? We yes, lots going on. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is just continuing to build out the team. We've got some really interesting growth opportunities ahead of us, and um, looking to build a team um, to support that um, operations. We've Gosh, we're, we've processed now over like 40,000 claims and scaling that and continuing to just be relentlessly focused on improving the customer experience and the product and making sure that we're consistently delivering um, on the Wagmo promise is, is really what we're going to be focusing on in the next year or so. Oh, exciting. Awesome. Well, final question. If you can give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur, what would you share with them? Ooh, I mean, very on trend with this conversation, I would say to go find your support system and to really use them. You know, like I said, I had zero exposure to tech or to startups and went about it the hard way in many, many ways. Um, and in retrospect, if I'd spent the time to kind of build a network and, and tap into folks who've been there, done that, um, I would have saved myself a ton of time and energy. So yeah, I would say find your tribe and, and really use them and, and don't be afraid to ask for help because, um, people are very willing to pay it forward and it will save you so much stress in the long term. Amazing. Agreed. 
All right. Well, thank you, Christy, for your time. And as mentioned, make sure to check out Wagmo for an innovative approach to pet insurance and wellness. Looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.